This is Ozarks at Large for Tuesday, December 6th, 2022. I'm Kyle Kellams. I'm Matthew Moore. This is the day the 2022 midterms will end, or at least should end. Voters in Arkansas can go to the polls until 7.30 this evening to determine winners in a handful of runoff elections. There are a few mayoral races, as well as city council and school board seats, which will be determined by the runoff votes. It's an election week of sorts for us at KUAF. This is our season of giving fundraiser at KUAF when we ask for your support to make sure that we can continue to bring you great public radio and great local public radio like Ozarks at Large. Think about 2022 and how KUAF and Ozarks at Large has been your reliable source of quality journalism. Consider all that KUAF has reported on and informed you of this past year. Ongoing coverage of the implications on women's health care and health care privacy issues after the Supreme Court's ruling to undo Roe v. Wade. Ongoing coverage and conversation on the rapidly changing world of Twitter, including health officials warning not to rely on Twitter for health care and vaccine information. Ongoing coverage of veteran health initiatives and needs here and across the country. This year, you turn to KUAF for facts and context, for international and national news, and also for news from your community. Today, we turn to you, our contributing listeners, like you, I hope, Make KUAF possible and make KUAF strong and independent. You can make a year-end contribution to keep KUAF strong right now at supportkuaf.com. And thank you. And we begin today's show with an example of that kind of reporting. That's right. With COVID-19 and influenza cases rising again, hospitals and medical agencies are trying to find new strategies to protect people from these viruses. A new study coordinated with UAMS is looking into combating vaccine hesitancy. Ozarks at Large's Daniel Carruth has more. Last week, the University of Arkansas for Medical Sciences received a $1.8 million grant to study rural vaccine hesitancy. The project, funded by the National Institutes of Health, will develop intervention strategies for rural pharmacies and is headed by UAMS Professor of Pharmacy Practice, Dr. Jeffrey Curran. We're going to be studying how best to implement a vaccine hesitancy intervention in rural pharmacies. Intervention which we have adapted from some earlier uh, work on vaccine hesitancy from other vaccines. Um, And we've tried to, to adapt it to focus on the COVID vaccines and also, you know, to 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 be delivered by rural pharmacists in rural areas. Curran says the project, titled Addressing COVID-19 Vaccine Hesitancy in Rural Community Pharmacies, is a culmination of work UAMS and NIH have been doing for years to create a network of rural pharmacies, mostly throughout the South. So prior to this study, about two and a half years ago, we started independently um, a rural pharmacy network with five Southern States and partners in each of those states recruited 20 rural rural pharmacies to take part: Arkansas, Alabama, Mississippi, North and South Carolina. We already work with those pharmacies and we've done other studies with them, but we haven't done any studies of this magnitude yet. He says the project will recruit 30 pharmacies out of that network to participate in the study, including 5 to 8 from Arkansas. 
Curran says the goal of the study is to develop intervention strategies for pharmacists to use with patients who may be wary of getting vaccinated. So we made a training program and a website for them to use to help them with evidence-based talking points, which are tied to commonly held concerns about vaccines generally, but also the development and deployment of the COVID vaccines. So the pharmacist can elicit whatever the concerns might be of their patient who is right there with them, and then, you know, use the information from our intervention to help guide those conversations with the hopes of addressing concerns um, and to try to make people be more comfortable with the idea of getting vaccinated or even if they've already been vaccinated with with the initial vaccines to get a booster because we're seeing now separate hesitancy concerns about the booster even if people have gotten the first round of vaccines. And he says while rhetoric around vaccine hesitancy has become more evident during the COVID-19 pandemic, resistance to vaccination is not new or uncommon. There's a lot of vaccine hesitancy out there in the world, and there has been for a number of years. Certainly the kind of core philosophy and core idea for our intervention is being adapted from a hesitancy intervention, which was first developed for HPV vaccines. And I think, you know, over the last 10 or 20 years or so, you know, there there has been growing hesitancy, you know, over routine childhood vaccines also. Um, so there has been this issue for a while. He says most of the concern pharmacists are seeing around the COVID-19 vaccine come from misinformation about how it was developed and mistrust of the government's role in distributing the vaccine. But he says the best way to combat that is by building on trusted relationships. Pharmacists are among the most highly trusted, if not the most highly trusted health professional around. In surveys, pharmacists are very highly, highly rated in terms of the level of trust that their patients have in them. And among rural pharmacists, it's even higher. Curran says the team has begun recruiting the 30 pharmacies for the study, which will begin next year and go for three years. He says the project will also look at how well virtual implementation helps pharmacists deliver counseling, and the team will also do a cost assessment to see how sustainable these methods can be into the future. For Ozarks at Large, I'm Daniel Carruth. Ahead this hour, the Fayetteville-based Garhole Records will spend two days this weekend celebrating their artists at George's Majestic Lounge. Ozarks at Large's Timothy Dennis will fill us in on the details, and we'll hear a performance from Garhole Records' Jude Brothers from inside our Firm and Garner Performance Studio. That's later on today's show. Theater Squared presents the inventive, magic-filled adaptation of A Christmas Carol. Experience this reimagination of Dickens' classic ghost story and set the stage for a new holiday tradition for your whole family. On stage through December 24th, 777-7477 or theater2.org for tickets. 
Arkansas SHIP, the Arkansas Senior Health Insurance Information Program, announces open enrollment now through December 7th. Arkansas SHIP offers free, confidential, unbiased, and educational advice for those needing to find the best Medicare Part D drug plan for 2023. For more, 1-800-224-6330. This is KUAF. I'm Matthew Moore. We are in the midst of our season of giving on-air fundraiser. Thank you so much for joining us this hour. Through it all, in 2022, KUAF has not only been your reliable source quality journalism, we've also been your source for analysis, conversation, and connection in our locally produced podcasts as well. Consider all that KUAF has informed you and expanded you in your understanding of this past year. The systemic and historical foundations of racism and how we can identify and work towards social and economic justice in the R Word, a podcast, community conversations, and book discussion series on reparations. A deep dive into the ballot measures, candidates, and mechanisms of voting in the midterms in our podcast series, Natural Election, and conversations on cultural competency and how local solutions could improve universal problems and points of departure, a podcast with host Daniel Carruth and the Arkansas Global Changemakers. This year, you turn to KUAF for facts and context for international and national news and also for news from your community on demand and ready for you whenever you need it. Today, we're turning to you, our dear listeners. Contributing listeners like you make KUAF possible. So take a moment today and head on over to supportkuaf.com to keep our station strong. Thank you, Matthew. An appropriate conversation topic for right now during this season of giving is philanthropy. The Arkansas Community Foundation is a statewide grant-making foundation, the largest grant-maker in the state in terms of the number of grants awarded each year. The CEO of the Arkansas Community Foundation, Heather Larkin, recently talked with Roby Brock from our partner Talk Business and Politics about the recent past, the present, and the near future of philanthropy. She says philanthropy was perhaps forever changed by the pandemic. Well, of course, it was the perfect storm. Um, uh, lots of nonprofits suffered a great deal. In fact, the, the statistics show us now that over half of nonprofits were in a position of real danger on their financial stability through the pandemic. Needs were up, and for a while, donations were down as we were trying to figure out how to give and how to respond. Uh, but nonprofits did adapt, and donors did dig deep and really focus in primarily on human services. Mm-hmm. Um, types of giving as you would expect. The arts programs and some of those nonprofits suffered a little more throughout the pandemic, but uh, donors did respond. Donors did respond. What were some of the adaptations? What did some people, what did some nonprofits do differently? What did some donors mm -hmm. do differently? As you can imagine, um, many nonprofits, one of their primary revenue streams are events, right. as you know, <laughs> well. and there were no events during yeah. COVID. And so nonprofits had to quickly adapt to either virtual events, digital and virtual appeals, uh, even from, you know, just meeting donors. It all went to, to Zoom and to online meetings to try to engage those relationships. And I think most nonprofits did a really good job. Volunteers during COVID, that was another um, adaptation because we could not have volunteers come into our nonprofits. And so the food banks had to really uh, pivot and figure out how to work when you don't have a volunteer base. And they did, they did. Um, so that whole process of giving and, and everything being more virtual, mm -hmm. um, that's just, I, I have found it's unsustainable in the long run. Part of 
giving and connecting with nonprofits and uh, organizations that do good in the community is about face-to-face -face relationships yes. and, and touch points, quite frankly. Yes. Um, I, I just wonder if you agree with that philosophy that, I mean, it, it worked and they survived, but it's not the model for yeah. the future. That is, that is very true. To, to get people to give, you have to have a, a relationship and really a, a connection. Um, and so what nonprofits have had to do and will continue to have to do is to get better and better at that digital storytelling. Mm -hmm. You know, we've got to be able to get our message out uh, digit digitally, virtually, and then build those relationships. That's the case with young donors too, Roby. Um, they're our future, of course, and they're very, very generous. Millennials are extremely generous. You have to get to them somehow through technology. But once you get to them, you have got to build a relationship. They're very relationship oriented about their nonprofits and their charitable giving. And it's a, it's a challenge for nonprofits to, to figure this out. Um, increasing our ability to work with donors, new donors, existing donors uh, through technology, but then to build that personal relationship so that they'll continue to get. All right, so post-pandemic, mm -hmm. as things have returned to whatever the new normal is, mm -hmm. what, what have you seen happening um, kind of after, the when it's been okay to get back mm -hmm. together again? Well, we, some good news. Uh, donations are continuing to increase. Donor retention has increased. Uh, mm -hmm. A lot of nonprofits found new donors during COVID as, as people tried to respond, and those donors have stuck with uh, those nonprofits. Um, I think going forward again, it's all about balancing the events and the personal relationships with online giving. Online giving is here to stay, just like online shopping. We see that through Giving Tuesday, yep. of course. What did you see this last Giving Tuesday? I mean, I know it's early and you can't say everything's yeah. settled, but I mean, you did see activity and you probably have gotten some preliminary estimates yeah. of how some folks yeah. have done. It looks good so far. Uh, Giving Tuesday is, it's its like everything. It's like Cyber Monday. We're, we're soaked in emails. I mean, I'm in the business and delete, delete, delete. Well, I got about 50 of them. Yep. So I mean, you I'm know. right there with we you. We all so. get them. But it, it does work because what you do is you delete, delete, delete until you see your nonprofit. And when, if you have that relationship and you believe in that cause, then you do pause on, on Giving Tuesday and make that gift. I did. Yeah. Um, so there is saturation. There is some donor fatigue, perhaps, of the information that we get. But as far as charitable giving, the numbers look good. I think people are going to continue uh, to support the nonprofits that have made their case, can show impact, and that, you know, that touch that touch us individually. We typically see that happen even when there's recessionary pressures mm -hmm. out there, in Arkansas at mm -hmm. least, the, the level of giving really does not slow down yep. dramatically. I mean, it, it can be a, you can witness it, but it does not uh, impact Arkansas that giving is, like it does in some other areas correct. of the country. All right, let's look into 2023. Mm -hmm. uh, kind of what do you see on the horizon uh, in terms of philanthropy and what do you, what's kind of the new normal now? Well, I think going forward, um, couple of things would come to mind. One, uh, volunteerism. Nonprofits are going to have to figure this out. Volunteerism is on the decline uh, overall. How we volunteer, the number of people who volunteer, it, it's just going to be different going forward. And so for the nonprofits that depend on a volunteer base, we're going to have to shift and adapt mm -hmm. uh, somehow to paying people or attracting people in. The second, That's not volunteering. If uh, you're that's right. <laughs> we'll have to find a new name for it. 
Uh, the second thing is just the, the future of giving, the millennials. I mean, 60% of millennials give to charity. They are extremely generous. It's a, it's a refreshing um, future for charitable giving, but how we connect with them and how we engage them is a lot different than Gen X or baby boomers. And so figuring out, like I said earlier, you have to get them through technology, but then you have to build that relationship and build trust with them. You have to be very transparent and you have to be very, very engaging. Yeah. You know, the days of getting a gift and then going and doing with it are over. It's getting a gift and bringing that donor with you. Heather Larkin is the CEO of the Arkansas Community Foundation. There is more from her conversation with Roby Brock at talkbusiness.net. The KUAF Giving Tree has been lit. This month of December, we're working with Seven Hills Homeless Center. Right now, Seven Hills' biggest needs are canned soups, coats, socks, gloves, and winter hats. Simply drop off your donation of new or gently used items at KUAF. The Giving Tree, and KUAF Public Radio. Make your voice matter. You're listening to Ozarks at Large. Thanks for being with us this afternoon. We are in the midst of our Season of Giving on-air fundraiser, and through it all in 2022, KUAF has been your reliable source of quality journalism. Consider all that KUAF reporting has informed you of this past year of indigenous communities in Arkansas and in Oklahoma. Like the story of Oklahoma high school journalist investigating missing indigenous women. The Cherokee Nation, headquartered in Tahlequah, Oklahoma, issuing a mandate to Congress to seat a Cherokee delegate in the U.S. House of Representatives, fulfilling an 1835 treaty agreement between both nations, and the Cherokee Nation signing the first transportation agreement between a tribe and the U.S. government. All of that reporting has been done here at KUAF through our work at Ozarks at Large. And this year, you've turned to KUAF for facts and context for international and national news, as well as news from your community. So we're turning to you right now. Our contributing listeners make KUAF possible, and I hope you'll take a moment to do that yourself. You can make a year-end contribution to keep KUAF strong at supportkuaf.com. And thank you so much. A Christmas Carol is one of the most performed and most adapted stories of our time. Charles Dickens' novella was first published 179 years ago. The author's first ever public reading was of the story in 1853. There have been thousands of stage presentations, TV adaptations, and movies. So many movies. From a 1901 silent to versions with Albert Finney, George C. Scott, Bill Murray, and the Muppets. Theater Square's account is on stage right now. James Taylor Odom returns as Scrooge, and we recently asked him about the frame for T2's production. It's Christmas Eve, Victorian London, and a young boy has been left, perhaps abandoned, in this Victorian library. The clock strikes at the end of the work hours for the librarian, and as she's locking up, she sees this boy sitting at a table alone. When she discovers the boy, perhaps, maybe or maybe not, uh, will have a father returning to pick him up. To pass the time, she picks up a book off the shelf. It's a newly written manuscript of Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol, and reads that story to him. And as she reads that story, in his imagination, 
that story comes to life in this library, and the boy is thrust into this magical literary classic. And that's how we uh, frame the story. So we see his imagination yes. of what is being read to him. Absolutely. So Scrooge is, to me, one of the most interesting characters, could be one of the most interesting characters to portray because Scrooge has become this, 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 this catchphrase for someone who is angry yeah. and upset and miserly, a caricature. But you don't want to play Scrooge as two-dimensional, I would imagine. Yeah. And so what's the challenge to show how shallow and miserly Scrooge is, but then have us believe, spoiler alert, that there's a transformation? Right. And I don't – it's a very, very important question to ask as an actor, as a director, as a writer, uh, if you're adapting the story. I don't I, – I think, I think that's the thing is that when we think of – his values as shallow, then we're stuck in this kind of two-dimensional thing that, oh, yeah, yeah, he hates Christmas, he loves money, and that's it. But we have to ask ourselves the question, why? Why does he despise Christmas? What about money is so important to him? And I think I mean, this is, you know, I, we all have watched A Christmas Carol since we were kids. Mm -hmm. Um, although I'm surprised how many people I meet that tell me, yeah, I've actually never seen A Christmas Carol in any iteration. They know the basic concept. But it's part of our yeah. shorthand. Yeah. I think that in this particular version and the way that I've approached this role and working with the director over the last few years, that there's something about one's value that is paramount to understanding the emotional journey of Scrooge. Perhaps how he was valued or not valued by his father, who wound up in a, a debtor's prison, drunken and died there. Um, valued or not valued by his friends and, 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 and um, work co-workers and, and what have you. And the preservation that comes from discovering um, how can I have the most worth that I have as a human being? And in his mind, that is avoiding at all costs whatever happened to his father. And, of course, it's, it's an interesting juxtaposition in this take because there's a lot of father-son yes. uh, confusion or vagary or concern. You know, it, it, it is interesting, and, and that's the frame we have. We have this beautiful frame about the main relationship that we, and, and we spend most of the play we, we haven't seen the father we just know the boy we don't hear much about what the boy's relationship is with his father but as an audience we're making all kinds of assumptions and inferences as to what that relationship is but what what the boy sees as he hears the story come to life is this man who might be as cruel as his own father or worse than his own father, gets an understanding of how that man got there and possibly has a better understanding of who his father could be or understand how he got where he, where he is, you know? This is not your first time. No. In this role or this, this you know, 
company production. What's that like for you? Do you just fall right back in? Do you find something new? Does life experience change how you prepare? Yes, life experience. I mean, anyone can say these last two years Mm -hmm. has changed uh, our perspectives uh, drastically. And as an artist, it absolutely has affected me. Um, It's I've done many shows returning to them, you know, and there is a, a ease to that in terms of, oh, yeah, whew, I know the show. I can step into it. But there's also the challenge of, oh, I have to justify all of the discoveries that I made three years ago <laughs> um, to an extent. It's not – it's it's mostly the same show in terms of this is the blocking, blocking meaning the staging where people go on, on the stage. Um, but – there is room for a little bit of new discovery there, but most of the pathway is the same. So how to find the path that's been, you know, forged before and, and, and make it mine again. And that's, the, that's the tricky part. But what helps that, I would say, are all the new people who are involved mm. because they're bringing a new energy. And the newness there, I feel like, enlivens the uh, creativity to help ground this by rote exploration of character that I did, you know, two years ago. If you were visited tonight at midnight by a ghost of past and a ghost of future, would you want that to happen? Or would you just say, you know what, guys, keep on going? I would let them (laughs) deal with me. (laughs) You would? I would. Maybe it's where I am in terms of how much life I've experienced Mm -hmm. versus how much life you've experienced. (laughs) Um, It it may be because I have done this role Mm -hmm. and I have viscerally felt what that would be like for me. And if I did experience it, I know how healing and powerful it could be. So I think that's that must be what it is, because I think otherwise it is scary. And I think most of us would like, oh, no, 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 we're fine. I'm fine. We're fine. <laughs> but I think that having dealt with things in my own life in this role, it, it makes sense to me that if they came to my uh, through my fireplace shoot <laughs> and pulled me out of bed against my will, I, I would embrace it. James Taylor Odom is Scrooge in the Theater Square production of A Christmas Carol, adapted by Amy Herzberg and Robert Ford. He visited the Carver Center for Public Radio last week. More about the show at theater2.org. This is Ozarks at Large. With me on the phone from Fort Smith to discuss books and her holiday gift guide is Sarah Putman from the bookstore Bookish. Sarah, thanks so much for joining us. Oh, so happy to be here. Happy holidays. Thank you. Happy holidays to you as well. This is um, this is one of my favorite times of year because I'm someone who selfishly really likes getting gifts. And it's a time for me to share my love of books uh, with other people and to kind of introduce them to some books. And one of my favorite things about this segment that we've started doing in the holiday season is it's a chance for me to learn about some new books that I should ask for <laughs> this holiday season. So why don't you share uh, some some book ideas that you have to give us gifts this year? Absolutely. So, you know, this is also one of my favorite times of year, because just because 
we get to see, you know, the folks that we work with all year long, but they're buying for other people. And I always love it when they're like, you know, I have this uncle that I only see once a year. We always do books. What should I get him? Right. So, so my theme here is like kind of the hard to, to buy for yes. shopper. Right? A hard to buy for person. So my first pick is the newish book. It came out in September by Michael Frank called 100 Saturdays is a beautiful story of survival and storytelling and friendship. And so Michael Frank is a journalist and he met um, Stella Levi, who is a survivor of, of Auschwitz at a museum in New York City. And sort of over the course of sort of things happening, she needed to um, learn. I think he, one of them needed to learn French. I can't quite remember how it got started. Anyway, he started meeting with her every Saturday and she started telling her story. She grew up in Judaria, which is the Jewish quarter in Rhodes, Greece. Hmm. And so over course of 100 Saturdays, I think it spanned about six years, she would just tell her story and it starts off, you know, I didn't even know about this part of the world, you know, like I, I've heard of Rhodes, Greece, and I didn't know that there was a Jewish quarter there. And so just kind of learning about her, her childhood and her family, it was just a beautiful place. And then of course it does get, you know, pretty grim and dark during the war, you know, when they occupy Rhodes and and take all of the Jewish people to Auschwitz. But Ultimately, it's just sort of this sweet and transformative friendship, sort of what it means to collect stories and the responsibilities of the memories that people share with us. It's just such a beautiful book. So I think this is something that anyone would like. doesn't matter what age or gender. Yeah, it's just a beautiful book. Awesome. All right. What else do you have for us? Okay, so I'm going to move down to our young readers. It's always fun to get your kiddos something great to read for the holidays. And I would pick up the Wild Robot series. This is by Peter Brown. Have you heard of this? No. <laughs> it's a little older, but it starts, the first series is called Wild, or first book is called Wild Robot. And it's the story of Roz, which is this robot that gets washed up onto this island. Hmm. And she has to kind of learn how to survive. She meets all kinds of fun animal friends. This is for probably eight to 12 but it's a fun family read. If you're a teacher, it'd be a fun, you know, group read in a classroom. Anyway, there's a lot of like technology versus nature themes going on, um, what it means to, to be family, that kind of stuff. And then the second book is Wild Robot Escapes. And then the third book comes out next year. So you could kind of get them ready for book three. But the illustrations are also done by Peter Brown, and they are so fun and whimsical and really kind of help tell the story. So this is a great book for, again, any gender. And I think starting at age eight up would be great. So my next book, you told me to throw you a curveball or a surprise. Yes. We started this year at the bookstore, we started something called Foodie Book Club because there are a lot of folks here in Fort Smith who love to cook. Hmm. And I'm not a foodie, but I'm learning, which I love. And so I also have gotten really fond of Susan Spungen from the New York Times, and she has a 12 Days of Cookies thing mm. that she does. However, she doesn't have a cookbook, which she should. She'd sell a million <laughs> of them. But the next best thing is Elizabeth de Nederland. She has a book called Holiday Cookies, and it is gorgeous, first of all. The pictures are beautiful. This is for, I mean, this could be for someone who just wants a pretty book in their kitchen, <laughs> but it's also... I think for any type of baker, some of them are really easy and some of them are pretty advanced, but she groups them up into these chapters where we have like the, the very merry classics 
there's a really fun cookie exchange party section um, where she has things like espresso thins and like oatmeal crisps. But my favorite is the around the world section where mm. she has like sweet gingerbread, um, Hungarian kipples and Danish butter wreaths. But all of these have really great tips. So you can kind of make it as easy or as hard as you need. And a lot of them, I mean, you can make them all year round. So that is my, it'd be a great gift, you know, for your son's girlfriend or something. Like that. Yeah, this feels like the kind of this this feels like the kind of book if if you're someone who's going to a holiday party this year to get that book so you can you can come prepared for you know to to really wow your friends at the at the party this year. Great, <laughs> for sure. Yeah, absolutely, and it's just beautiful. So. Those are my top three picks. Awesome. Um, Sarah, where can folks find Bookish in Fort Smith? Well, we are in the bakery district. The address is 70 South 7th Street. Once you get there the first time, it's really easy to find. So that, that's where we are. You can also find us online at bookishfs.com. We're all over social media, Facebook, Instagram, even TikTok. Awesome. Sarah, thanks so much for these uh, fantastic recommendations and happy holidays to you. Happy holidays to you, Matthew. Thank you. And happy holidays to you, and thank you so much for listening to your public radio station, 91.3 KUAF. This is Ozarks at Large. I'm Kyle Kellums. This is the season of giving fundraising week at KUAF. We take just a few minutes in between our interviews and features to remind you that here at the end of the year, your tax-deductible year-end gift to KUAF means our 2023 will be strong and independent. We rely on listeners just like you for the majority of our budget. That means to bring you national programs like All Things Considered and Fresh Air. It means to pay for the salaries for my colleagues here at KUAF, including those of us who work on Ozarks at Large. It means keeping us strong so we can bring you news from around the state and around the region, as well as give you ideas about books, movies, and other items of entertainment. We take our mission at Public Radio and KUAF very seriously, and we thank you for going to support KUAF.com and taking your role in Public Radio seriously as well. You decide the amount, but you make that contribution right now at supportKUAF.com. And once again, for this season of Giving Fundraiser, we're offering a special gift to you as thanks for your contribution. It's the fifth annual KUAF Live CD, collection of live performances from throughout the previous year. Well, from throughout this year. We're celebrating our fifth year bringing you the best in live music on KUAF by offering a CD bundle. You can request a 2022 KUAF Live Volume 5 double CD and one or more of the previous year's KUAF Live compilations. That's for $20 a month or $240 a year. You can get all five KUAF Live CDs, the entire set, until supplies run out, of course. This includes our very first collection, the 30th Anniversary Ozarks at Large Collection, the 2021 Holiday Collection, performances from Ozarks at Large live holiday shows, as well as the double CD of 2019, and this year's double CD, including tracks from the Lunch Hours monthly concerts that happen in our lobby. All make great holiday gifts for loved ones who also love KUAF, or just for you. You can give right now at supportkuaf.com, and thank you. Happy Holidays from the KUAF and Friends Holiday Giveaway. This is your chance to win a gift from one of many generous KUAF underwriters. Participants include Hillberry Music Festival, the Fable Farmer's Market, David Adams Fine Jewelers, and more. Winners announced Friday, December 9th during the noon edition of Ozarks at Large. Details and registration available at KUAF.com. 
Later this week, Fayetteville's Garhole Records will host a two-day showcase of the label's artists and some of the friends of the label at George's Majestic Lounge in Fayetteville. Recently, Ozarks at Large's Timothy Dennis sat down with Kurt Delashman and Jude Brothers of Garhole Records to talk about the event, which will take place Friday and Saturday. So when I was a kid, I grew up in Jackson, Mississippi, and I had the great benefit of growing up in a town that had a really strong local music scene, Mm -hmm. and that music scene was also super friendly to kids under the age of 18. So I got to go to shows all the time when I was a kid, and my favorite one every year was a holiday showcase that a local record label put on. And I mean, it was my favorite event every year. We'd mark it on the calendar and have a big time. You know, it's local bands. And then they had some folks from like Arkansas on the label and all over the place. And so it was like this big gathering. And even when I was like 17, I thought of it as like a a really special party. And the, the label would like rent out this old theater in this kind of rundown part of town in Jackson. And yeah, it was super fun. So when we got Garhol started. Garhol started in 2020. So when it became safe and realistic to put together like large music events, this was one of the ideas that I really wanted to pursue. And uh, luckily we found some great partners to help make it happen. So who are some of the people you're partnering with on this? Well, the most important would be George's for sure. The Crowns have been super friendly to Garhol really since it got started, and we're super appreciative of them. And yeah, they were excited to host the first Gar Holiday show. And it's not just one day, it's actually two days. Two days at George's, and then we added a Garhol HQ hangout that's, I would say it's a half, it's, so it's two and a half days. It's okay. a Saturday afternoon in the alley outside the Garhol headquarters, we have another little feature that's kind of. What would you would you say? It's the condiment on top of the <laughs> Gar Holiday sandwich. Like it's like that's exactly it's like the what spicy chili it. crisp. Yeah. yeah, it's a lot of music, a lot of acts performing. It's both touring and local. Got a bunch of folks from New Orleans coming in. It's going to be a blast. It's going to be a lot. (laughs) So you have everyone, presumably, who's an artist on Garhole performing. Who are some of the other people you have coming in from out of town helping to fill this out? Well, we've got Orelai from Bentonville by way of Wisconsin. Mm -hmm. She's a cellist and a singer-songwriter. We've also got Two Runner. They're based out of Northern California. NorCal, not NorCarl. And then we've got... um, Creekbed Carter Hogan. Right. Have actually been lucky enough to have them in here before? Oh my God. Yeah. Maybe the most fun person to hang out with. I'd, I've ever I'd agree with that. Yeah. I'd agree with that. Yeah, I'm yeah, jealous that you got. I'm jealous you got to hang out it with was, Carter. It was pretty amazing. <laughs> well, yeah, there will be more Carter, and then, um, yeah, everyone. The New Orleans contingency of the Garhole label family is uh, Chris Acker, mm-hmm. uh, the Losteens, and the Daiquiri Queens. Okay, so quite a wide range there. So you've got people coming in from out of town. You've got label mates, but you've also got friends from here in town performing as well, right? Yes. Willie Carlisle is going to be playing. He's not on Garhole. He's on a a friend of ours label in Washington, D.C. called Free Dirt. Mm -hmm. Uh, He had a great release come out this year. So we're really excited to have him on board. Thank you, Willie, for agreeing to play. Mm -hmm. And then uh, Dylan Earl is going to close out night one. 
he's got a great new record in the works too. We're excited to hear a bunch of new songs from him. Mm-hmm. So you've got a lot of people on the label coming in from out of town. Does it feel good to have them coming in when you don't necessarily get to see all of these people, your friends, your label mates very often? Yeah, this will be the first time we've all been in the same room together at the same time, I think. Yeah, that's true. I mean, when Nick used to live in New Orleans, a lot of the roster is made up of folks from New Orleans, and it it really all has to do with Nick Shoulders um, living down there for years and playing music down there. And so maybe at some magical point in time, like four years ago, something similar to this could have happened but yeah it is the first time that everyone on the label has been in the same building all at once it'll be the first time the lost deans have played in arkansas period Mm. which is awesome maybe the first time the daiquiri queens have been up here too chris acker has been here a few times but uh we love it when he comes to town him and the rest of the growing boys his band Mm. they're i mean they're all friends at this point um so yeah i mean it's just as much like a celebration and party like just for us yeah. as it is like a fun musical event for everybody. Do you have any special plans considering that you'll all be in the same place other than partying, celebrating, playing music? <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. Um, we're going to film a lot of stuff. So our friend Mike Venata from a video production company called Western AF mm-hmm. is going to be in town. And he's going to help with filming a lot of the showcase, which will be great. We might have some other people with cameras running around, too. (laughs) So that'll be fun. Y'all are doing this over two nights. This is your first one. Why decide to go swing for the fences instead of just do one night? Because we're gluttons for punishment. (laughs) Yeah, I think that's about right. (laughs) I remember when me and Jude were talking about this at the beginning, and we were thinking about just doing one night. And at a certain point, we just hit that level where it was like, yeah, you know, screw this. Let's just go all out. Might as well. It's already going to be like so much work. It doesn't even really seem like too much more work to add a second day. Yeah. yeah. And to have everyone who wants to be a part of it being a part of it felt right, too, for the inaugural one. Right. For sure. Kind of sets the tone for making it bigger and badder. And I think another important part of the whole thing for us is really just kind of getting the word out about Garhol Records. And I know that there's a lot of folks in town that don't know anything about the label, which is totally understandable because it started in the middle of a pandemic. And really a lot of Garhol Records has just lived on the internet. Even when, you know, somebody's internetting right next to me, you know, we're seeing totally different things. So. It felt like a good opportunity to put Garhol Records in the physical space and kind of show Fayetteville what it's all about. Now, Jude, you are also an artist on the label, right? Yes. And you are also playing the showcase, right? Yes. Will this be your first time playing at George's? Yes. How do you feel, how do you feel about that? <laughs> oh, I feel really excited about it. I mean, it's probably the biggest venue I've played in town, you know, I'm used Mm -hmm. to playing in living rooms and backyards and I played the library this summer. That was really special. But yeah, of course, I'm really excited. And it's not my first time both being at at an event as an organizer and as a musician, because 
somebody's got to do it. <laughs> <laughs> I get that. I get that. Are, are you going to have to play some mental gymnastics to both pull off a performance and make sure everything else goes according to plan? You know, I think that, so I've been working for Garhol since January, and Kurt and I have had plenty of time, I think, to, like, work out really good, clear delegation and communication. And I think that I trust my teammate to have my back while I'm distracted playing harp. And, you know, the first night, I'm, I'm thinking maybe the first night I'll work a little harder so Kurt gets to party a little harder. And then the second night... He'll work a little harder so I can play a little harder. Yeah. Divide and Ju- Jude's going to be off the clock on Saturday. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Nice. At least one clock. Right. Only one clock. <laughs> right. yeah. Single clock night. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah right. <laughs> From a musical standpoint, with all of these different artists on the label, what, and this is a question for both of you, what would you say is the underlying aesthetic, characteristic, uh, style? What is the underlying thing that connects all of the artists on Garhol? That's an interesting question. One way you could say it is like misfit folk and Americana, I guess. That's kind of what it's shaping up to be. Yeah. We were the weird kids in high school. (laughs) I feel like every single one of us was a different kind of weirdo misfit outcast in some way or another. Like especially being that like not everybody, but like a lot of people on the label either grew up if not like Midwest or Southern, like they grew up somewhat rurally. And so being weird punk country kid, you know, it's like, it doesn't feel like there's a clear space for you in a lot. Like it's like too country for the punks, too punk for the country kids. Like it's like, I would also add that I think that a lot of the artists, and I would say most of the artists represented by Garhol, although they play what is often called Americana music. I think that we're all Americana musicians who are not in love with the myth of America. (laughs) Right. Like the glorifying and um, romanticization of the myth of America. Okay. Well, Jude, you brought your guitar with you. Uh, Would you mind giving us a little bit of a sample of what people can expect? Yeah, sure. That sounds good.
friends all ask me when you're gonna fall in love and buy the farm five acres and two hound dogs and ten chickens in the yard and if i think too long about it i could spin a golden yarn but i'm not the kind of someone that you'd see slung round your arm it's all right friend i think we're better off this way riding along side by side taking all day by day enjoying the quiet bubble that romance tends to burst but there's a twinkle in your eye i had escaped me on the first night that i met you a rambler from my distant home to remind me where i ran from and to sing so was Jude Brothers performing inside our Furman Garner Performance Studio. We also heard from Kurt DeLashmit. Both are with Garhole Records in Fayetteville. The Garhole Records Holiday Showcase takes place Friday and Saturday evenings at Georgia's Majestic Lounge in Fayetteville with events also happening Saturday afternoon at Garhole's office in downtown Fayetteville. You can find more information on the Facebook or Instagram feeds for Garhole Records. This is 91.3 KUAF, Fayetteville, Fort Smith, Rogers, and Mina. KUAF is a listener-supported service of the School of Journalism and Strategic Media at the University of Arkansas. Contributors today included Daniel Carruth, Timothy Dennis, and Roby Brock. Our membership director at KUAF is Brett Ratliff. Kyle, we're really throwing him into the fire as he's yeah, just we a are. few weeks into his job and we're in the midst of a fundraiser. You know what, though? He has such a calm demeanor. It's yeah, it's it's wild how calm he is. It's it's very invitational really. Yeah. 
And you make him happy when you support us. That's true. And one of the great things about this season of Giving Fundraiser is that we are giving things to you. If you choose to support us for a gift of $120 or $10 a month, you can request a special KUAF Live Volume 5 double CD. Music from The Lunch Hour, music from Ozarks at Large with guests like Honey Collective, Old Man Saxon, Mildenhall, Pat Ryan Key, Jess Harp, Adam Fawcett, Pure Coco Bang, Modeling Amore, and many, many more, Kyle. <laughs> Where else can I find that CD besides contributing to KUAF? I, you can't. There you go. You can't. There you go. Uh, Matthew put together today's show inside the Bruce and Ann Applegate News Studio 2. Thank you for your support of KUAF and for your support of Ozarks at Large. You can make your year-end contribution in the amount that is best for you. Make your support to public radio at supportkuaf.com. I'm Kyle Callums. I'm Matthew Moore. Back with you again tomorrow.